Okay, good evening. Thank, thank you for coming. Tonight, before we uh, begin and I announce the dedications tonight, I would like to invite everyone, um, everyone to come join us. This Shabbos, the 18th of Elul, is the uh, birthday of the Holy Baal Shem Tov, who our center is dedicated, named after him, and dedicated to his teachings and the spreading of the light of his teachings to the world as a preparation for Mashiach. So his birthday is this Shabbos of the great and holy and saintly Baal Shem Tov. His spiritual grandson, Reb Shneir Zalman of Liadi, shares the same birthday. We're going to celebrate over here at Mayon Matzah Shabbos in a beautiful, very, very special, uplifting, deep, deep um, celebration. Meaningful. Uh, we're having an ensemble of musicians led by a chassid and a real chassidish and a shaman. His music is very powerful. Dov Rosenblatt, you might have not have heard of him. Uh, he's together with a band called Distant Cousins and usually plays pretty secular music, but um, he was once here a couple of years ago and they played Hasidic Nagunim and it was literally one of a kind. Very powerful, very meaningful. So we're going to join together and connect Malava Malka to the energy of the Holy Baal Shem Tov and we're going to revamp our souls and bring ourselves to a much deeper, higher place, so automatically Rosh Hashanah is going to be so much more meaningful and so much more powerful. So everyone, please spread the word. Tell people. Matzah Shabbos at 9.30 here at Mayan. If you could make a reservation before, go on our website and make a reservation um, it's $18 if you do a pre-reserve. It's $15 pre-reservation, $18 at the door, uh, helping us uh, cover the cost of this. And I hope everyone can join for that very, very, very special time. Um, I'd also like, uh, I also want to thank the uh, sponsors to, of that event, but we'll announce that at the event. Um, tonight's class... Um, it was dedicated by my father in honor of his father's yard site, uh, which is my grandfather that I'm named after. Never met my grandfather. I'm named after him. Passed away like two years before I was born, a little less than that. And uh, Ruvain ben Rabbi Yaakov Zev. His yard site is tonight. May his neshama have a very, very, very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. I'm sure spiritually I'm deeply connected to him. So the class over here, hopefully, should have a big effect on his neshama. 
and uh, I can use a lot of uh, spiritual boost from up there, uh, channel down to myself, to be able to continue doing the holy work over here, and to all of us at Mayon and all those who listen to these classes, may a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of great, great bracha come down um, in the merit of this shear, in the merit of the elevation of his neshama. Um, another dedication uh, tonight is by by um, David Sulami, Rabbi David Sulami, who's dedicating tonight's class in honor of the yard site of the Holy Maral of Prague, which is also on the 18th of Elul, and the birthdays of the two luminaries that I had mentioned before, the Holy Balshemtov and the Balatanya May the schus of all these tzaddikim shine upon you, David, and your family for and only, only wonderful, special, good, 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 good things to you and your family. Thank you so much for those dedications. I personally want to dedicate tonight's class, in addition to my father's dedication, I'd like to dedicate tonight's class to my wife in honor of our anniversary, her anniversary, our anniversary going to be not tonight, tomorrow night, but on the 15th of Elul, my Hashem, and in honor of my son, uh, Shneer Zalman, Zalmi, in honor of his birthday, also on the 15th of Elul. May uh, my wife have a lot of nachas from me and from Zalmi and from the whole family, and we should both raise our children in good health, uh, and uh, only, 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 only good, and she should be benched with a lot of koiches to continue doing her work, over here at the Mayon, which is all the backbone of everything that happens. So I thank her so much, and I and uh, hopefully this will bring a lot, a lot, a lot of blessing. Okay, all that have been said. Uh, let's learn. This week is special. This week's parsha is parsha's kisavo, but I would like to dedicate tonight's class particularly to the Balshentov. Um, and to the importance of the Balshemtov's teachings, why the Balshemtov, and why the importance, why the Balshemtov is the necessity of the Balshemtov for us as a preparation for Mashiach. Uh, at first, um, I mentioned earlier this week is the birth, the holy birthday of the Balshemtov. The Balshemtov was born 319 years ago in the year. Tough Nun Ches, five, four, five, eight. So it's three hundred and nineteen years ago that the holy soul of the Balshemtov came down to grace this world and to bring his tremendous great light. And we know that the light. This is not wasn't just another tzaddik, another great great man. The Balshemtov was part of the process of Giula. It was part another face phase in the world preparing itself. But this was a major, major leap towards the redemption was with the descent of the holy Balshemtov's neshama into this world. We know when the Balshemtov himself writes this in a letter, that when the Balshemtov ascended on high to the highest of heights on Rosh Hashanah, a couple of years before his passing, and he, and he describes, this wasn't while he was asleep, this was during his wakeful time, he made what's called Aliyah's Neshama, which great tzaddikim are able to do, ascending to the greatest of heights. 
And actually, on the way back down, wherever he had gone, he said he has never gone up to such aliyahs, to such elevations. But on the way back down, he, he met a bunch of all the souls. And he saw there was a very, very, very big simcha, a very good happiness, a very great joy. And uh, he was wondering what the great joy is. And uh, in the process of all of this, he describes that he went back up. There was also a negative decree against uh, a community. And if I remember correctly, in the Balshamtiv at that time wanted to intercede on behalf. So he was going higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And wherever he came, he saw great simcha, great joy. And when he finally came into Moshiach's chamber, and um, he asked Moshiach, Amosai Ka'asimar, when is the master coming? And Moshiach said to the holy Balshamtiv, when your teachings, when your wellsprings of your teachings will spread across the entire world, that's when the Moshiach will come. When your teachings will spread through the world, that will be, that will herald in the redemption. So there is a special connection from the Baal Shem Tov to Moshiach. And we know, it says in Sfarim, an interesting thing. It says when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shemayim, when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to heavens, uh, the Pasuk says, Alisa Lamorom. You went up Lamorom to a very, very high place. Shavisa Shevi, you took captives. You captured captive. So the simple meaning of the Pasuk is that when Moshe went up to heaven, he took the Sefer Torah, he took the Torah, it was considered he took it a captive because he had to wrestle it away from the Malachim, in which the Malachim, you know, not that Moshe. Not that Moshe took the Torah, God forbid, into captivity. The Torah belongs down here. You captured an entity that was in captivity. The Torah was in captivity. Because when the Torah was there and the Malachim tried to block the neshama from the Torah from coming down, that was a captivity to the Torah. So Moshe Rabbeinu brought the Torah down to the world, so he captured a captive. The... Um, there is a, a, uh, another explanation given that when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to heaven, he took certain neshamas, he released them and made it available or made these neshamas, um, enabled these neshamas to descend into the world. Because there are certain neshamas that are included, so to speak, in Moshiach's neshama. They're part of Moshiach. And therefore... Uh, but they're necessary to be in the world before Mashiach comes. But the other side, who vehemently opposes the coming of Mashiach, because when Mashiach comes, the side of unholiness will dissipate, will be gone forever. As the Pasuk says, as the Pasuk says that um, uh, we say it in Rosh Hashanah davening, v'chol arisha kula, that all evil, Be'oshon Tichle, is going to evaporate in smoke. So the unholy is terrified of the coming of Mashiach. And therefore, they do whatever they can to prevent these super, super neshamas that advance the Geula from coming into the world. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu had to wrestle with the Satan, so to speak, or trick the Satan, and grab these powerful neshamas bring them and allow these neshamas to come into this world to pave the way to the redemption. 
So it says an interesting thing. The word Shevi, which is spelled Shin Vez Yud, Shin Bez Yud is the word Shevi. Shevi means, the word Shevi means captive. These are the captives that Moshe Rabbeinu took. These are the special neshamas. Shin Bez Yud. So it says that the, this word, Shin Bez Yud, stands for those, all the neshamas related to this special Indian, these special neshamas are hinted to in the word Shevi. Beginning with Shimon ben Yochai. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, he's Shevi. Shimon ben Yochai, this is the neshama, the first super neshama who came to the world to reveal Pnimiyas Torah. And the holy, the Rajbi, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, gave us the holy Zohar. And the Zohar is where it says openly in Sefer HaZohar, that Beshai Sifra Dalach, in your Sefer, Bay with this sefer Yafkin Bnei Yisrael, the Jewish people will go out Megaygalusa from their galus Berachamim with 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 mercy. That through the sefer Hazoar, which is the foundation of Hasidic teachings, it's the essence of all Pnimiyas Torah. That sefer Rajbi is the preparation, is the illumination. Zohar actually means illumination. It's that light and tremendous light of the Giyula. That's the first neshama that was Shevi that Moshe Rabbeinu enabled to come into the world. The second neshama is also in the word Shevi, but working in the opposite order. Yitzchak ben Shlomo, and that is the holy Arizal, 16th century super mega Kabbalist, the greatest of all the Mikubalim. And the Arizal's neshama in the sacred holy city of Tzvas, where the Arizal came down to begin what's called Olam Hatikun, the world of Tikkun, the world already of rectification, the Arizal says that until his days, the Nishamis and the world were still, everything was still part of the chaotic Olam Hatou, digger world. And now is when the real Tikkun begins. And this brought about a tremendous, tremendous advance in the understanding and the dissemination and the, and the deeper learning of the esoteric of Pnimiya Satora. And we all know that all of Oh, the main accepted Kabbalah and the most purest Kabbalah that there is. There are many channels of Kabbalah. But the purest channel of Kabbalah is Kabbalah Sa'arizal, the Kabbalah of the Holy Ari. So the Ari is the second neshama. It's backwards, Shevi backwards. Shimon Be Yochai is frontwards, and then Yud Be'is Shimon is Yitzchak Ben Shloima, which is the Arizal. And then... Many about 200 years later, we come, less than that, we come to the great and holy saintly neshama of the Baal Shem Tov, whose name is also hinted in Shevi, because you also have Yisrael Baal Shem. Okay, it doesn't say his father's name, but Yisrael Baal Shem is Shevi. Yud Beis Shin, Yisrael Baal Shem. But also Yisrael Ben, ben Sarah is also Shevi, because his mother's name, the Balshemtov's mother's name was Sarah. So it's Yisroel ben Sarah. So the Balshemtov is from these special neshamas, these three powerful, illuminating souls that bring Pnimiya Satora to the world. And the Balshemtov for the last ten generations, leading up to the generation of Mashiach, which is after nine generations moving into the tenth generation, 
which is the generation at from need, in order to bring something through the entire order of existence of Seder Ishtalshlos, the messianic light, throughout all, all the way down to earth, we know the system of the spherot, of the attributes are ten. So we work through all the nine levels until we finally come to Mashiach Tzedkenu, that is the ultimate revelation of this great light. So uh, that's in general the great neshama of the holy Baal Shem Tov. The question is, why did the Baal Shem Tov come to the world in Parshas Kisovo? Is there a relationship between the holy Baal Shem Tov and this week's Parsha, Parshas Kisovo? The Baal Shem Tov was born on a Monday, Parshas Kisovo. What is the significance? There must be a relationship for such a monumental event, something so important for the development of the Jewish people and our advance to Giyula, there has to be, the Baal Shem Tov has to be marumas, meaning hinted to, not just hinted to, but it has to be the essence of Parshas Kisavo. So when we read Parshas Kisavo, the first mitzvah that dominates this week's Parsha, Parshas Kisavo, is the mitzvah of Bikurim. Bikurim is the mitzvah of the first fruits. When Jews came into the land of Israel, Hashem gave them a commandment, you should take you should take from the first of all the fruits. So the farmer would go out to the farm, would look to the first ripe fruits, and when he found that those fruits that were ripe, he would have to set them aside, and then they would put them into baskets from the seven, only from the Shiva Saminim, from the seven special fruits that Eretz Yisrael was blessed with, and put them in the basket. And then once a year, the Jews would make a pilgrimage they would go up to Yerushalayim, they would go up to the Har Habayis, to the Temple Mount, and finally they would come to the Beis Amigdash. And they would offer these fruits to Hashem and as a gift. This was a gift to God. And this is the first thing you did. We know that in Jewish, in, 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 uh, in our obligation in, from, from our agriculture, from our produce, we have certain gifts. Before a Jew can even put something into his mouth, there's a whole series of gifts and presents that he has to first give. Because a Jew has to always be more of a giver than a taker. So a Yid is taught that we give. Who do we give? So we, there's a system. The first thing we give is to Hashem. Because we recognize and acknowledge that all of our blessings come from Him. So we return and we give something back to Hashem. That's called Bikurim. After that we have to give to the Kohen. That's the second gift. Which is the gift giving of Truma. Which you give to the Kohen. And then after that, you give to the Levites, to the Levium, that you give miser. And after that, you separate another miser and either give it to the poor, or at other times, you have to bring it to Yerushalayim and eat it in Yerushalayim. And only after that, the rest of the fruit, can someone eat, uh, can one partake in just as regular produce for their families and the like. This is the system and this is the great mitzvah. We know that coming up with the Bikurim to the Beis Amigdash, was one of the most exhilarating experiences of Beis Amigdash life, of ancient Judaism, of ancient life in Judaism, and which we are waiting for and we're so lacking during our exile. From all the events that happened in the Beis Amigdash, which were very special, you have the, the, the three pilgrimage holidays, you have Simchas Beis Shoeva and the dancing in the Beis Amigdash, you have the Avodah, of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, which must have been something extraordinary and the like, which we always sing Mara Kohen, what the Kohen looked like when he came out of the Holy of Holies. So you just have so many unbelievable sights and experiences in the Beis Amigdash. But for the ordinary person, what was most 
that had the strongest probably effect was when the people, people, because this involved everybody's personal participation. And when the people would go up to Yerushalayim, they would meet together as groups. They would all camp out together on the streets. They weren't allowed to go into homes because just in case someone might pass away and they would be in, under the roof of a dead body. So they were so cautious. And for like, a, sometimes it would take a week or so where the groups would go together and they would, they would go up and they had musical instruments accompanying them. It was a parade, it was so exquisitely beautiful. And the whole way they were singing and they were just being in such an elevated spiritual state and the people felt such thankfulness and such gratitude. By the time they walked, you know, when, when a Jew came to Yerushalayim, you know what it looked like in the olden days when they, it says, David HaMelech describes the beauty of Yerushalayim and he says, When someone walked into the gates of Jerusalem, their feet remained um, stuck to the ground, they couldn't move because of the exquisite beauty of what of the city of Jerusalem and the holy temple that unfolded. That you couldn't you couldn't move any further. You just remained stationary. They couldn't move until they would gain the ability and the courage to be able to move forward and continue up to the base of Migdash. And as they came out, and all the people of Yerushalayim would come out to greet them, and the Kohanim, and the Leviim, and the, they would play music. They would, it was extraordinary. And then the Jew would come in and personally give gratitude to Hashem for all the goodness that He has done to, for him personally and to the Jewish people. This was an unbelievable, deep experience that left a lifelong impact on even a person that just got to merit to do the Bikurim one time in their life. Let alone, this was something that was done every single year. This is the mitzvah, one of the beautiful mitzvah of Bikurim. Now, what does Bikurim mean? And why was it, on a deeper level, why is the mitzvah of Bikurim so extraordinarily special? What is so unique in the Bikurim? What is so unique in the Bikurim that, 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 that makes this mitzvah such a beautiful mitzvah, such a deep mitzvah, such an elevated mitzvah. And the explanation is given in, in Hasidus, as the Tzemach Tzedek, the, the third Chabad Rebbe, explains this with an extraordinary explanation of what the content of the mitzvah of Bikurim is. What are the Bikurim? Bikurim means the first, from the word Bechor. Bechor means first, firstborn, that which is first. So Bikurim represents that which is first in existence. Now we know that Truma, that, uh, truma is also called, Truma you give, and Truma is called Rashis. Rashis means the beginning. Rashis Arisei Seichem, the first of your doughs. You give Chala. Chala is the same like Truma. You give it to the Kohen. Rashis the Gancha, the first of your grains. So, so Truma is called Rashis. But Bikurim even though the Torah says, may rashis kolperi adama, from the first of all your fruits, Bikurim has another name that defines Bikurim, not just rashis, which means first, but Bikur, Bechor. Bikur really in essence means that which comes before the first. That which is ancient, that which always was, that precedes even the first. And that... So we're talking about that which is at the very, 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 very core, beginning of beginning of beginning or pre-beginning of everything. And what is the pre-pre-pre-beginning of everything? 
the pre-pre-beginning of all of existence are the Jewish people. There's a pasuk in Hoshea. In Hoshea it says, Ka'anovim bamidbar, like grapes in the desert, Matsasi Yisrael, I found the Jewish people. Kibiku'ura bate'ena, like the fig, but when the fig is becoming the first ripening of the fig, Bireshisa, at its very, very, very beginning, Ra'isi avaysechem, I've seen your fathers. The Medrash Rabbah tells us on this from here, that the thought of the Jewish people preceded creation. And that the Abishter thought of Avaisechem, the, the, the Jewish people and our fathers, the Avais, Hashem envisioned them or thought of them before everything. Yisrael alu b'machshava, that the Jewish people have risen in machshav. But to understand the depth of what does this mean, Yisrael alu b'machshava, that the Jewish people have risen in God's thought, the depth of it is, is that the Jewish people are rooted in God even deeper than the Torah is rooted in Hashem. As we know that before everything, there's Yisrael v'araisa v'kutsha berichu. There is the, the Jewish people, there is the Torah, and there is Hashem. And the Tanah of Eliyahu, Eliyahu Anavi, in his Sefer, there's a book from Eliyahu Anavi called Tanah of Eliyahu. In Perak Yudalad, we had a whole class about this just a few years ago, and so before Sukkot, an amazing class. But over there in Tanah of Eliyahu, Perak Yudalad, it says that Eliyahu Anavi was, um, Li, he said to me, Rebbe, there are two things in the world. And I love them in my heart. With an absolute love. Two things that I love with an absolute love. And these are they. The Torah and the Jewish people. I don't know. I don't know which one is first. I know that the Jewish people and the Torah are both super special and they're both before the world is created. But I don't know who is first. Amarti loy, I said to him, Bini my son, this is Elio Wanavi answering. He says, Bini my son, Tar konsho b'nei adam oimrim. It is the way of the masses, the way of the people that say, HaTorah kodma, that the Torah is first. Shanemar, Hashem Kanani Rashis Darkai, that Hashem, the Torah says about itself, itself, Hashem has acquired me at the beginning of his ways. Avalani Om, that's what people say. That's what all the rabbis will tell you. That's what Eliyahu Navi says. All the rabbis will tell you that who comes first, meaning what's more important in God's eyes, what's at the very, very, very quintessence of Hashem, is the Torah. Now the Jewish people are also here very, very special, but the Yidden are here to serve the Torah. So what Hashem is interested more than anything else is the Torah. And the Jewish people actualize the Torah. But I say, Eliyahu says, Yisrael Kadmu, they didn't come first. That means the first and initially embedded at the root essence of Hashem are the Jewish people. And why did God give the Torah? Or why did Hashem, and the purpose of, or so to speak, the, es- the Torah is, is here to serve the Jewish people. 
to enable Hashem to manifest His relationship with the Bnei Yisrael in this world, so the, the Torah is emanated from God to serve as that connector and that bonder between Yidden and Hashem. When Yidden, this, when Jewish neshamas come down into this world, into bodies to be planted as separate entities from God, so now we get a chance to re- to merge and to have a relationship with Hashem through the Torah, through the medium of the Torah. So the Jewish people are higher than the Torah. So the Tzemach Tzedek says, that's the meaning of truma and bikurim. Truma is referring to the Torah. The truma which we give to the Kohen is referring to the the, truma. Truma is second in holiness, but it's not the holiest thing. Truma, the Zohar says in many places, comes from the word word truma, Torah mem, the Torah of 40. The word truma, if you take the word apart, you have Torah mem, the Torah of 40. What's the Torah of 40? The Torah that was given to 40 days. Because it took Moshe Rabbeinu 40 days to learn the Torah. And that's Torah mem, that's the truma. So Torah is very, very high. We also know an interesting halacha by truma. The law by truma is how much truma. The Torah doesn't give an amount the Torah doesn't obligate a person to give a certain amount of truma. By, by to, the, to the miser, miser means tithing. You give a tenth. But by truma, it doesn't say how much. So the Chachamim say that it is appropriate for a person to give one out of 50. And the, but it, they don't say one out of 50, but they say, and they learn it out from the word truma, tre mimeya, two from a hundred. One out of 50, two from a hundred. Which means, right, so one fiftieth, you give, that's the average. A person can give more or you can give less, but the average which a person should be doing if they want to do the mitzvah in its proper way, one, two out of a hundred. And what's the idea of tremimeya? Because Torah has within itself two parts. The chachma, Torah is God's wisdom, and Torah has Torah Shabiksav, the written Torah, Torah has Torah Shabalpeh, the oral Torah. Torah Shabiksav, is the Chachma Ilah, is the higher Chachma, the Chachma of Hashem, as it is completely, completely godly, incomprehensible. That's why we know that Torah Shebiksav, we don't know anything of Torah Shebiksav. We read it, but we know it's full of secrets and secrets and secrets. We, we can't, but even when we read it, we would never be able to read it without the interpretation of Torah Shebiksav that gives us the meaning of it. So Chachma, the, the Torah Shebiksav, it's God's Torah, it's God's Chachma, as the Chachma is infinitely above any Hasaga, any kind of grasp of any type of creature or any being. And Chachma Tata, the lower Chachma, is a lower level where God contracts already His Chachma into Torah Shabalpeh, which is already more of a Torah that is comprehensible and understandable to creations. And that's the meaning, and that's why also, let's say, for on Shavuos, whenever we celebrate Torah, we have two breads. Shavuos, we wave the two breads. The two breads are the two Torahs. Torah Shabik Sav, Torah Shabal And that's the meaning of Trey Mimeya, two out of a hundred. It's the two powers of Chachma. What's the meaning of out of a hundred um, is not for now. But that's the general idea Truma is referring to, is called, is Torah. Bikurim is higher than, the, than, than Truma. And that's why we take Bikurim before the Truma. And its holiness is greater than the holiness of Truma. Because what is Bikurim? Bikurim is not the, is higher than the Torah because Bikurim are the Jewish people. The Bikurim are the Nishamis of the Jewish people. They are called Bikurim. 
What is the meaning of that? The neshamis of Yidin. And in what sense do we say that the neshamis of Yidin, as, as Elio Anavi says, that souls of the Jewish people are higher than the Torah. Torah is, tr- is, is truma, and the Jewish people are bikurim. And the idea is as follows. When, when it speaks about the origins of the, Jewishness, of the Jewish souls, there is a pasuk that says, and we say it in the Haggadah, we say, And the other side of the river your father sat. Simply, it's, that's describing the negativity of the, the unholy origins of the Jewish people. That your grandparents sat on the other side of the river. That means we too, the Jewish people, were idolaters because our grandfather was Terach. And God did us a, did us a, a favor by doing what? He enabled Avram to recognize his truth and so on and so forth. He took him to the Ekech HaSavichem. I took your father and I separated him from all that garbage. And you became the great nation. That's the simple meaning. But Hasidus, that always, the teachings of Hasidus, the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, that Pnimiya that always give us the inner light of everything, teach us there's a whole new meaning over here. When it says, Be'ever Hanor, and the other side of the river, Yashu Avaisechem, your, your father's your father sat. What's the deeper meaning in that? The river is referring to. I used to take kids in the summer. I used to have a camp. It was called Camp Shema. And I had a group of boys, I would, uh, seventh, eighth graders. And I would uh, do, it was like an extreme kind of a camp of nature. And I would do all kinds of wild, crazy things with them. We did a lot of camping and a lot of river rafting and hiking and backpacking and all those, uh, uh, which uh, nature has always been something that has always been, I was always deeply connected to. And uh, it was a chance to have a very special time. And it was a chance also to connect to these kids and to give them a deeper connection to themselves, to the Torah, to Yiddishkeit, and so forth. So in all these activities that we did, I always would sit with them and we would discuss what this activity or this site that we're seeing right now, whether it was a waterfall or whether it was whatever it was, what does this mean in a deeper world? Because everything, is, everything we see in, the, in our world really means something deeper. So I remember when we went river rafting, I was asking them if they can kind of identify a river. What is a river? If we especially, I told them that a person includes the whole world. So what's the river inside, of, inside the person? We discussed it for a while. I don't, know, I don't remember if, if any of them came up with it. People said the river is the blood, and so on and so forth. That's the rivers that run through the body. But uh, and when I pointed out to them at that time that the river is really your thought, your stream of consciousness. Your thought, your stream of consciousness is always flowing. There's like a river. It's always, the waters are gushing. It never stops. In Kabbalah, that means, it says that Bina is where thought happens. Thought occurs in Bina, in the Bina element of our Neshama. And over there, the, there's letters, and the letters are continuously flowing, words and words and words. Letters are always, it never ceases. There's different combinations of letters. But the Bina letters, the Bina letters are already a, letters, words, are vessels, they're containers. They're not the essence of the energy of you. They're, they're words, they're vessels, they're containers. In these containers, in these vessels, you pour, you pour yourself into it. You know, your, 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 your energy. You, you have a, a, an energy of a seichel, of an idea. And then these ideas 
take form in these letters, in these various different words. That's why sometimes you find that you can have the same concept and the same idea, and two people will say them in completely different words. Why? Because the words are not the essence of the idea. The words are just the kalim, they're the vessels for it. So going back, the Torah, the Sefer Torah, the book, the Sefer Torah that we had, what is the Torah? Torah is God's thoughts. It's the flow of the Eberster's thoughts. That's the Torah, so to speak. The stream of divine consciousness, of God's thinking. That's the Torah, it's the words. But those words of the Torah, Sefer Torah, is, is, is considered external. It's considered, I mean, it's deep. Thought is not like speech. Speech is something that you can talk, and then you can stop talking. Thought is always happening. That's showing the depth of thought, and the deep, how deep is connected how deep thought is connected to the person that you can't divorce yourself from your thoughts. Your thoughts are always, always flowing. But still, the thought is still like, is words. And if we use an analogy of, we spoke about this in our last class on Thursday night, if you use an, an analogy of a Sefer Torah or anything that is written, written letters, the ink, the words are, come from ink and the ink is attached to the parchment. It's not of the parchment. It becomes one with the parchment. Once you put the ink on the parchment, it becomes one with the parchment and it's inseparable. Unless you're going to take something very, very strong to erase it. But generally, these, they don't fall off. You pick up the parchment and you shake a parchment as strong as you, 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 you'll shake it. it the, the letters won't come falling off because the letters have like kind of etched themselves into the parchment and attached themselves and become one with the parchment. But still... The substance of the letters are not the parchment itself. The same is also with the Torah. The Torah, as godly as the Torah is, still being that these are ideas, these are things, these have some definitions, letters, shapes, forms, as deep and as divine and as holy and as abstract that we will ever understand of how deep these letters are, but yet we can't see them as the divine essence itself but something kind of that attaches itself to the divine. And that's the, that's the Torah. Sefer Torah, that's the Bina where the Torah comes from. Then, however, the Jewish Nishamas, they are deeper than those letters. They're much deeper, the Tzemach Tzedek says, than the letters of thought. The Jewish people are the letters that are rooted and carved into the very essence of the Abishter himself. What does that mean? Let me explain that. In a human, in the person, this is a little very subtle idea. In addition to letters of thought in which we're thinking, which are like external letters, there are essential letters in a person's neshama. That the letter is one with the soul itself. How can we differentiate between these letters and letters of thought? Uh, I don't know. And definitely not for the discussion today. But there is something called essential letters that are just one with the very, very, very energy of who you are, not thoughts that you're thinking. Deep carvings. That would be similar to the luchos. The luchos weren't letters attached to a parchment. The luchos were carved out letters that are with a rock and the letters are totally one. The Sefer Torah, the Torah as we know, the Sefer Torah, 
Those are the letters of Bina. Those are the letters of Machshava. Those are letters that are unified with God, but still not one or rooted at the very, very, very core essence of the Eibishter. The engraved letters, which we're saying also about the Torah, but that level of Torah is not called Torah. That level of Torah, where the Torah is engraved in God, it's just the, the essential letters, not the attached letters, that is the Jewish people. It's those letters. That's why we know that Yisrael, the word Yisrael means, Yesh Shishim Ribo Osios La Torah. The, our, the, the acronym of the word Yisrael, there are 600,000 letters of the Torah. These 600,000 letters are not attached letters. These 600,000 letters are letters that are etched, that are one with, 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 with the parchment, and this, with the stone. In this case, the stone we're referring to God himself. So Torah, as Torah is called Torah, is the writ, are the written letters, or the letters of thought, the letters of the river. These are the river, the stream of consciousness. That's the river. But the Jewish people are not the letters of the river. Every single Jew is a letter embedded, and not just no, not embedded, now better wouldn't be the right word, carved out. A neshama is carved out, so to speak, from the essence of the Abishter himself. mimal, a part of God, mimal, from above, mamish. Mamish, remember that word mamish, mamish the Tanya says. Mamish, literally, literally, it's a part of the essence, of the quintessence of the Eberster. These are the deepest letters. That's the Jewish, that's the Jewish soul. That's the meaning of when we say be'ever hanohar, that avisechem, your fathers, your grandparents, that means your origins of your neshama is on the other side of the river, deeper than God's stream of consciousness, deeper than the Bina. You come from Yeshua Avisechem. Your fathers are sitting. They're sitting at the very core of the Abishter himself. He and Jews are totally one. He and, the, and every single neshama are completely one. And then... Later emerges the Torah, which is the Sefer Torah. So who's holier? Who's holier, a Sefer Torah or a Jew? A Jew is infinitely holier than a Sefer Torah. Sefer Torah is very, very holy. Not belittling a Sefer Torah, but a Jew is holier. And when we approach the Torah, and we try to read the Torah, and we know, as I mentioned earlier, that no one can fathom the Torah. We have a Torah Shabbat Peh. The Torah Shabbat we can sort of study. Then there is the Torah Shabbat the written Torah that we don't know. We just read the words with songs. We read it with a tune, but we know we have no clue what's going on. We know it's all the names of Hashem. We know there are secrets upon secrets upon secrets. Secrets, Gewalt. Secrets, Yeshishim Riboy. I'm sorry, there's secrets. The Arizal says there's 600,000 explanations of pshat, remez, drush, and sod. Each one has 600,000 interpretations. It's endless. The secrets that are in the Torah, we know we will never, ever, ever scratch the surface of the Torah. As many secrets that there is in the Torah, there is so much more secret to a Jew. Does anybody have, can, can, can we ever fathom who the Jew is? Who your neighbor is? Who the Yid living around the block is? Do you know the secret of his neshama? Do you know what kind of depth, you know what kind of unbelievable universal mysteries are there in his soul if the Jew is embedded deeper in God? So the secret of the Jew is much deeper than the secret of the Torah. 
And that's why the Torah, there were many, many, there were many people that were able to expound on the Torah. There were many people, people learned Torah, studied Torah, but there were very few who were able to expound on the, on the Jew. And here is where we come to the Holy Baal Shem Tov. Because the Baal Shem Tov was the person who came to reveal to us the Nisham of who Yidin are. The Baal Shem Tov is the one who came to reveal the mile of the quality of what a Yid, what a Nisham is. It's unification with God. And that's the mitzvah of Bikurim. Bikurim is higher than Truma. What's the mitzvah? The mitzvah is the fruit, these neshamas, as they are rooted in the essence of the Ebishter, essence of God, descend down from that very, very high quintessential place and come down and appear to be a creation. First they come down to be a neshama in a higher spiritual world. And they go from world to world, from world to world. And they travel through all the travels of time and space. Especially when we know neshamas keep on being recycled. They come down in one life and in another life. Take on all these various different forms until the neshama shows up as a person that comes to shul sitting right next to you. And what is that? One of the essential letters carved out in the essence of God is sitting right next to you in shul. Or is a Jew living around the corner that doesn't know about Shabbos, doesn't know about uh, the, any mitzvah, doesn't keep anything. Literally doesn't keep anything. Has a tattoo, I mean, sit completely disconnected. No, not literally. Maybe not even know about Yom Kippur. But yet, that doesn't change the fact that this neshama, this Jew, is one of the core essential this Jew too, and the secret of this Jew, you will never know. What is he doing here? Why is he living in this place? What kind of holiness is he or she bringing into the world? How this person shakes the cosmos and every move of theirs. You don't know. What do you know? What do we know? We don't know. But that's the emes. Yidin. A Jew. So when the neshama comes down, however, the neshama is very, very, very itself in its own consciousness. Even when we're a Yid who learns Torah and does mitzvahs, even when we are practicing Jews, so to speak, and observant Yidin and learning and trying to be Maha, still we're very, very disconnected by, uh, from this notion, from this understanding that I am totally one with the Abishter, one with God, and I'm such a godly being, so connected, so holy, so beyond. No, we don't feel that at all. That was the mitzvah of Bikurim. The mitzvah of Bikurim was to take the fruits, the fruits coming from a tree, the tree, who's the tree? The, in, in Atsilus, in the supernal world, when Yecheskel saw the Merkava, he saw a, a, a being that looked like a man. He saw an Odom. And in, and in, and in Parshas uh, uh, Shoftim, just uh, two weeks ago, it says in the Pasuk, Ki Odom Eitzasada, that a tree, ki a person is, is, a tr- is, is called an Eitzasada, a tree of the field. That means that the supernal man above, which is God himself, is called a tree. Because he's called Adam, and he's called a tree. That tree gives birth to fruits. Who are those fruits? Because what's the inner, inner, inner essence of the tree? What's the deepest? What really reflects? Is it the bark? Is it the wood? What really reflects the essence of the tree? That's the fruits. The fruits are the panemius of the tree. And so the fruits of the Adam Elyon, of the supernal man, these are the neshamas that are born in this world. The Jewish baby is born in this world. One of those grapes, one of those figs, one of those pomegranates, one of those special fruits from the Abishter's fruit tree, from the Adam Elyon, from the supernal man, is planted down over here. And now the Avoida of Bikurim was to go to a place 
where we can sense who we really are. Because when we're living in the midst of all this, we're all confused, we're all blocked, we're all clogged, and we, we have all this things that consume our minds, that clutter our hearts and, 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 and um, disturb our minds so we can't think, we can't feel. But when we went to a place of holiness and we brought the Bikurim in that basket and we brought it to the Beis Amigdash, suddenly we started, we started experiencing again that Wi-Fi, that connection. And as we got closer and closer and closer, we were beginning to experience ourselves as these godly beings, as being part of Hashem. And the love of Hashem was felt so intensely because the spark was yearning for the essence and the essence was yearning for the spark as the two of them were converging together. That was the experience. And what's the end of the Bikurim? What do we do in the end with the Bikurim? We take the Bikurim and we put it down right in front of the Mizbeach. And that's it. You, put it in, you bow down, you put it in front of the Mizbeach and the person would leave. Later, Mizbeach, which means it's considered giving it to God, and then they, they would take it and, 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 and they would give it to the Kohanim. But what's the real meaning when you're putting it by the Mizbeach? It means like this. It says, what's the Mizbeach? The Mizbeach is a place where they would offer sacrifices, and the sacrifices would be consumed by a godly fire. So it says somewhere in Midrash that Michoel, the archangel Michoel, is 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 makriv? He offers nishmoiseyen shel Yisrael, the souls of the tzaddikim. Nishmoiseyen shel tzaddikim. He offers the souls of tzaddikim al gabei hamizbeach. He's the great Kohen, and he officiates on the supernal mizbeach and the in the in the mizbeach, on the supernal base amigdash in the migdash shel ma'ila and the migdash of the heavens, where there is a holy mizbeach, a spiritual mizbeach. Michoel, he's the Kohen. He elevates the neshamas of the tzaddikim into that fire. What does that mean? He burns chas v'shalom. Is that like he burns the souls of the tzaddikim? No, the deepest yearning of a neshama is to be reunified with its source till it becomes totally one. The Zohar calls that le'ishta'ava, to become reabsorbed begufa the malko with the body of the king. There's nothing greater than that. That's the striving of all neshamas, to be unified back with their source, with Hashem Himself. Which means that their shoresh, their very root, as a letter that is one with the essence of the soul, which over here in this case, the essence of Hashem, that this letter should re... In other words, our consciousness should be elevated to that state of oneness with our source. That's what was done when the basket with the fruits were put by the Mizbeach, that meant that Michoel now would receive it and offer it on the Mizbeach, bringing about that complete unification and that oneness. Neshamis unifying with their source. That's Bikurim. That's Bikurim. Now we can understand, going back, why the Balshemtov is born in Parshas Kisavai. Because the holy Balshemtov, as he came to the world, revealed something exquisite when he came here to this world. In addition, there were many chedushim of the Balshemtiv, many novelties of the Balshemtiv. In general, the Balshemtiv reveals Pnimiyas Torah, the innermost of the Torah, and the Balshemtiv reveals the innermost of God. He's revealing the idea of Achdos Hashem, the unity of God. He reveals the inner secrets of the world. But the Balshemtiv, more than anything else, what if, if people that we know a little bit when we read a little bit about the Holy Balshemtiv, the one thing we, we we get the feeling is that his Avas Yisrael, his love to the Jewish people, was like unmatched and unparalleled. 
Because the Balshemtiv was the tzaddik, was the person who came to the world to reveal to us how godly we are, how high the Neshama is. And therefore the Balshemtiv brought, he, 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 he elevated Yidin, and he took away, in other words, those who began to follow on the path of Hasidus, to connect to the Balshemtiv, to t- learn his teachings, will never, ever, ever be able to look at a Jew again and measure and, and, and evaluate and give value to a person based on his scholastic achievements, his Torah knowledge, or even his observance of mitzvahs, to be able to give value that that's the value. Of course, it's not that chas v'sholem in the, in the derech ha-chasidus and the ways of chasidus, there isn't an appreciation. Of course, there's, there's an, the appreciation of Torah from the perspective of chasidus is way, way, way higher than if someone is looking at it just without the teachings of Pneumius Torah. But not in, not in that do we see the quality of the Jew. The quality of the Jew is something that infinitely surpasses. It's something that cannot be measured with any kind of... All these measurements of observance, of Torah knowledge, and all that, all that is considered like the creation side of things. That's the external, that's all considered chitzainius. It's considered external in, in, in comparison to the idea that an eshama, a soul, is one with atzmos. Atzmos means the very essence of the Eberster himself. And over there, there is no differentiations between this neshama and that neshama. And the Ubal Shemtev taught us how to have love, infinite, unconditional love to every single Jew. And how to have awe, literally awe, before a Yid. The Milo of Nishmas Yisrael, that was the Baal Shem. The Baal Shem Tov came to bring Bikurim. To be, Baal Shem Tov came into the world before Mashiach comes to fill a basket a basket of Jewish souls, which are really all the Jewish neshamas. And it's interesting, the Baal Shem Tov's name is Yisrael, and the reason why he was called Yisrael, because it says that the Jewish people were then in a state of faint, or Pinchas of Koretz, when the great students of the Baal Shem Tov said that the Jewish people then were in a state of faint, and when a person faints, which means they were completely disconnected from their soul, like they were, they were, they were, their spiritual side was dead collectively, and and, and, and when a person is in a state of faint, one of the ways to wake him up is to call him by his name, to whisper his name in his ear. So the Baal Shem Tov whispered the name of the Jewish people into our ear by giving us the neshama of Yisrael. He said, Yisrael, wake up. And in that Yisrael, he called out to us, Yisrael, wake up. That calling of Hashem to the Jewish people was the, the bringing us the neshama of the Baal Shem Tov. So, so that's the main Indian of the Baal Shem Tov, was to wake up and to reveal what is Yisrael. That Yidin are, are, are... And therefore, it's not... You don't... You're, you're not more Jew through more observance. Quite on the contrary. When a Yid, who is so unified with God, does a mitzvah, wow! Because he's a Yid. What's to celebrate the fact that this is a Jew, this is a Yid. And with this, the Baal Shem Tov, brought life, completely revamped Judaism, brought energy and life and inspiration and chayos and brought such a revolution, such an excitement, such an elevation into all of Jewish observance. This, now that's true Bechlal for the last couple of hundred years. As we get closer to Moshiach, because we see that the Bolshemtiv's teachings 
resurrected and, and, and brought uh, such a new energy into Eastern Europe and so many Jews. But yet, not all Jewish people became Hasidim. Not all Jewish people followed the, the teachings or, or uh, assimilated the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov into their life. And, and, uh, and then after the Baal Shem Tov, there were other movements that came to strengthen the Jewish people. There was a Musar movement, and there was the yeshiva, the yeshiva movement. And all these things brought a, a, a strengthening for the Jewish people in a time when it was needed very, very much, when the Gullahs got very dark. But as we get closer and closer to the Giyula, mamish to our last generation, it is very, 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 very important to note and very, very important to understand that today's days there is no other approach but the approach of Hasidus. Um, the, without Hasidus, there's really, 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 really no hope for the next generation. The only thing that speaks, the only thing that reaches, the only thing that inspires and could excite uh, the future generation, people in today's days, young people in today's days, is only Hasidus. And let me just uh, illustrate that and explain that a little bit. Um, the, there is a, uh, this week, just the other day, I received a book from a good friend of mine, uh, Rabbi Shlomo Goldner. He gave me a book just yesterday um, that he helped publish. It's a book that's called Sacred Soil. It's a book written by uh, an uh, author. Not, he didn't write it himself. Uh, someone wrote it on his behalf by a very special yid lives in New York. His name is Ramosha Wolfson. Ramosha Wolfson is the mashgiach. He is the uh, mashgiach is means someone who's like in charge over the more ethical side of a yeshiva. There is the ones who teach the Talmud, the Gemara, and the like, and then there is the one in charge more over the ethical behavior and, this, and, the, and, the, and the character of the students and the like. So the Mashgiach of Yeshiva's Torah Vedas, his name is Ramosha Wolfs, and he's a real Chassidish Shayid. Now in general, um, Torah Vedas is Yeshiva now in Flatbush for many, many, one of the oldest Yeshivas in, in, uh, in Brooklyn, and one of the oldest American Yeshivas, its general flavor is more the Lithuanian style. So we say, call it a Litvish yeshiva. Yet, it has always been, from all the yeshivas, it has always been very, very connected and very open to Hasidic influences. And that's because the founder of Tervedas, his name was Reb Shraga Feivel Mendelovich. He was an Hungarian yid. He came to America and he was an unbelievable tzaddik, a wonderful person. And he was the one who was established this yeshiva, Yeshiva Tervedas, and he had a very, very, very strong connection to Hasidus. He loved Hasidus. He learned a lot of Hasidish for him. He even gave classes in Tanya. He was a real, he had a real Hasidish uh, connection. Say that he was a, completely a Hasid, or he saw himself as a Hasid, but he was a real Hasidish uh, uh, connection to him. And he left that flavor in the yeshiva, so that the mashgiach of Torah Vedas, by the name of Ramosha Wolfson, is a, uh, a Hasid, uh, American, meaning not an elderly Yid, but born in America, and um, has, been, has been teaching Hasidus and Torah Vedas for all these years, been giving Tanya classes. He even wrote a sefer on Tanya. Now, he's not a Chabad Hasid. He's a Hasid who has uh, derived his, his knowledge of Hasidus from all schools of Hasidic thoughts, from the various different places, 
his, in his interesting, in his Sefer of Tanya that he writes, he explains Tanya with commentary from all the Hasidic writings, from all the various different uh, flows of Hasidim. Um, he started a shul in, in, uh, in, from his students, started a shul in Borough Park called Amunas Yisrael. What it really means, the, the name Amunas Yisrael means the Amuna faith in Yisrael in the Baal Shem Tov. When I was a kid growing up in Borough Park, I used to frequent that shul. What's unique about that place is it's meant specially for people whose neshamas are turned on, were turned on by chassidus. This is an, a shul that was already, I think, operating in the in sometime in the 70s, and then in the 80s, and so on. It grew tremendously. And um, what was unique about it is that, you know, even though Borough Park, when I grew up, was very, a uh, real Hasidish city, meaning has lots and lot of Hasidish sects, but yet not necessarily that people that grow up in a Hasidish a, a, a home with Hasidic menhagim and so on and so forth, have a, a, an understanding or an appreciation to the inner light of Hasidus, to its true beauty, to its true inner message, it, it's become what we might call cultural Hasidim, not necessarily deep Hasidim. But his shul was a shul developed on the teachings of Hasidus. And, and uh, they called the people that were going, they were always called munis. Because, you know, people, when you see spiritual people that are looking for uh, more uh, spirituality, so there's always a reason to laugh at them. So the people in the Munis Yisrael were called the Munis. But in any ways, this, yish, this shul, I used to go there a lot. And I have to, uh, and I acknowledge that this was one of, m- one of my um, uh, uh, introductions, I should say. A, a major part of my introduction into the vast world of Hasidic, of Hasidic teachings was in his shul by Ramosha Wilson in, in, in Amunas Yisrael. It's a place where people, first of all, davening goes on. It's a fiery davening. And davening goes there. It's not, there's no haste. No one is ever rushing to finish. It's a slow davening. It's a deep davening. And it's a lot of singing. And then I remember it used to be Shaloshudis. So Shaloshudis, it was the like four or five, maybe between three to four hundred people. Maybe by now it probably has even more. And the lights were closed. And they would sing Nigunim. And here's the thing. Again, Shabbos, no one was looking at the clock when Shabbos would end. There's Rabbeinu Tamzman, which, which is 72 minutes after, after uh, 72 minutes after Shkia. And they would finish like an hour after Rabbeinu Tamzman. So the experience over there in Amunas Yisrael was like this. The lights were closed. And, for our, and, for, and, and they would sink deep from all chassidish courts where majitz negunim and vizhnitz negunim and chabad negunim. But no one, but, but there was nothing else going on besides a pitch black room, dark, and everybody just deep in thought. Everybody singing. It was so powerful. I remember the first time, that was the first time I heard the Chabad of Vinu Malkeinu. And Kvot Chodesh Elul would come. would come right before uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah. They would sing the Vinu Ma. I remember literally goosebumps going down my, my, through my body. Chills going down my spine. It was so powerful. And then he would speak, Rabbi Wolfson would speak for probably an hour. And he would say he would weave an incredible tapestry of deep Hasidic ideas and stories and gematrias. And he would create, and it was such a, it was such a, 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 a it, it, it was so, it was, it, it was such an ashamadige experience. It was really, really very special. Anyways, just 
giving you a little idea of who Ramayusha Wolfson's like, it should be Gesundheit In any case, now he gave out a book, his first time a book that was given out. Um, he wrote many, uh, there was many Sfarim, he didn't write, but many Sfarim were written from his teachings. But um, the one, now they published a book of his in, in English, published by Art Scroll. So I read this book yesterday, and I read the introduction. And I was very, very, very pleased to see, because in Art Scroll publications, it's generally not that Hasidic oriented. And here there was a book, and the person who wrote the book, again, it's not Rabbi Wolfson, gives an introduction, but I think the introduction itself is itself from the teachings of Rabbi Wolfson, in which he discusses in a very, 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 very beautiful way uh, the idea of why in our generation the only thing that's going to work for the younger kids and for the younger, for teenagers and for people growing up now is only the teachings of Hasidus and that's it, the other things are just not going to work. And he explains for two reasons. Number one, people in the younger generation in our days are not cut out for criticism. People cannot hear why they're not good and why whatever they're doing isn't good and they don't want to hear about punishments. The style of, because it's interesting how he describes over there that there's a unique challenge to be able to, in Judaism, two things. On the one end, we can't change Judaism. You have to, Yiddishkeit has to be based on the foundations, and we have to keep what's called Mesorah. Mesorah is tradition, the tradition of Judaism. But on the other hand, there's always and always an absolute must to adapt to the challenge of any particular given generation. So in earlier, so, and, and that's, that, that's, that's quite of a daunting task, to be able to preserve the old but address the current and what is needed for people at, the, at, at that particular time. So the, 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 the style of rebuke, the style of pointing out the negative, the style of always looking, when you look at the world, as seeing everything bad and dark and ugly, like the word that is used all the time, people are using this word so much, such a schmutz, all the schmutz, all the time I go places, people think about schmutz, and, all, and that's discussed a lot, made into a major thing, and how bad it is, and how it's going to corrupt your neshama, and how it's not good for your soul, and how it does damages, and how if you don't learn Torah and do no mitzvahs, what's going to happen, and so on and so forth, that whole style, which is MS and true, and it worked for earlier generations, it does not speak to, to, younger, to younger people, because people today don't have the heart and don't have the interest. Now you can look at that in two ways. You can look at that, the inability for young people today to be able to receive criticism. You can look at that and negativity as a negative thing, because people are just immature, and they're not willing to grow, and they don't have that honesty, and that willingness to be able to hear, and to make a mensch out of themselves, even if, that's, that's one thing. Or, you can look at it as a great positive thing. As long as that derech was necessary for the Jewish people, in, during the time of Golis, before the greater light of Moshiach started to be revealed, the Abishter enabled our Nishamas to be able to handle that. Not only to be able to handle that, he, he made us capable of being able to respond to such stimulation. But in a generation that's coming right before Mashiach, since, the, since what's required now is the new derech, the derech of Balshemtiv, the teachings of the Balshemtiv, which are completely saturated and based and, and, and only on, on, on pure positivity. And in everything it sees only the positive. Even in the darkest elements it points out. If it talks about sins, for instance, you, look, you learn in the Torah and you speak about sins that earlier generations did or that big tzaddikim did, comes the, the teaching, the Baal Shem Tev and his students and reveal to us that 
even the worst sins, what looks like a sins, really had deep godly intentions. And even when, when people, and then Chassidus talks about sin, that when a yid does an Aveira and he falls, first of all, it's a very external thing, it's not who you are. And you really are an Eshama, you're a holy yid, and you want to serve the Eibishter. And this that you sinned and you fell is because of some external thing that has attached itself to your Neshama. And even the fall is only so that you can come back with a greater vigor and with a greater excitement. All that negativity is suddenly turned around to such a positive message. That's number one, he explains. Number two, there's another very, very beautiful, special, very important idea. He says, we're dealing with a generation today's days that has so, has, act, has, has been, um, uh, has grow, grow, is growing up with a smorgasbord of pleasure and of sensual delights. There is so much stimulation, there's so much pleasure, just in the realm of food, so many different types of delicacies and pizza shops and sushis, and people are into eating and various types of gourmet foods. Today, every woman is a gourmet cook. And it's like, um, and people are just, and that's, everybody's used to it. wasn't that way. What was the Yudin day? You had a piece of shmaltzer with a little filter fish and a little piece of kugel, and that was the light on Shabbos. And the rest of the week, you ate some mashed potatoes and whatever. This whole idea of such, such, such pleasure and delight, in addition to that, all the stimuli coming from the entertainment that people get all the time, every few minutes, from this WhatsApp video and from that thing and from that thing, people are constantly, there is so much pleasure, there's so much stoking all of our buttons, all of our pleasure elements within us. A Yiddishkeit that is going to be lacking anything but deep thrill and deep inner pleasure and delight cannot compete in any way with these Kalipadiga pleasures and unholy pleasures. Therefore, in Torah itself, even though Torah is godly and Torah is very holy, but in Torah itself, there's two parts of the Torah. There's the external part of the Torah where the Torah deals with what we call halacha, Talmud and the like. Where in that part of Torah, the pleasure, the delight, the godliness of the Torah is not so visible and not so seen. And then there is the Pneumius of Torah, which the Pneumius of a Torah, when you learn it and when you open up yourself to these teachings, it delivers such satisfaction. It delivers such delight, it delivers such sensation that has, that, that once you experience that you don't need these external pleasures. It becomes something that is not, it's not, it's not even a competition. One has such a chayus and such a lebedekite and such an energy. And it was so nice to see that this book was printed by Art Scroll. And today, going to be, you know, enter, I mean, I mean, Hasidus has been entering into mainstream Judaism, but in such a clear way that the, without Hasidus, it's just not going to work anymore for younger people. And it's, and, 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 but on the other hand, we have still for, you know, people that are, have a resistance, a silly resistance, and I'm pointing it out because it's important to know. Because I had, for instance, a, a rabbi in this community sent me, uh, uh, just a few weeks ago, he called me up and he told me that there's a boy that became more religious and got involved in Yiddishkeit. And now he wants to reject it all. So if I can please speak to him and give him some chizuk. This was actually not a Hasidic, not a Hasidic rabbi who called me. If I can please help him out and speak to this bachar. So I called him and we got together and we spoke a little bit and then we learned. We started learning a little Tanya and the like. And uh, you see that just, just a little bit of the learnings that I was teaching was giving him such a whole different perspective and a whole different life because he's been 
inspired by rabbis that were instilling terrible fear about all kinds of consequences and all the destruction that's going to happen in the world right before Mashiach comes and all the misery and only those who keep the Torah and all of that. Such fear and the like. And the message that I was, it was a very different message. But then I was telling him, this is Hasidus. I said, you have to really, you can't have your Yiddishkeit based on external factors of you becoming a great person or you having Olam Abba or you getting so-and-so. Your Yiddishkeit is about a relationship and about you fulfilling what the Eberster wants, what God wants. God wants to have a home in this world and so on and so forth. And he was really connecting to what I was saying, but he told me that his yeshiva had warned him that he has to keep away from, the, from learning Tanya, he has to keep away from learning Tanya, and he has to keep away from Breslev, from Breslev teachings and from Chabad teachings. And that these are two teachings that he must keep away from. Which is such a ridiculous thing, because it, it, it's, such, it's, so, it's, so, it's so silly. It's not... It's, it, 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 it's about time, that's what I'm saying. It's about time that people responsible educators, teachers, recognize that if you want to hold the generation, not only that, but you want to unleash the true potential, the real power of these amazing, amazing neshamas of the last generation, you have to give them the nutrients and the food that they are begging for. And what today's generation and children are begging for is the teachings of the Balshentov. This is what speaks to them. This is what touches their souls. This is what's going to get them. There are still people that are afraid and scared. That's only because they haven't tasted it. A person that allows himself a little bit to learn these holy teachings, these special things, and, 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 and allow these, God, this pure divine light to shine at the neshama can, will, will feel such a... Such a resurrection, such an infusion of joy, of happiness, of light in their neshama. I'm just going to conclude with one little tiny thought. And that is that the Baal Shem Tov came to the world on the 18th of Elul, which the 18th of Elul is, is um, 12 days before, before Rosh Hashanah. And it says... And on these 12 days before Rosh Hashanah, from the 18th of El until Rosh Hashanah, every single day corresponds to a month. And during this time, we can change. During this, these 12 days, we can change, we can do tshuva for an entire month. On, Sunday, on the first day, the 18th of El, the coming this Shabbos, we can fix last year's entire month of Tishrei. On the next day, we can fix Cheshven and so on and so forth. What's the connection? of the, the, the 12 days beginning on Chai El on the Baal Shem Tov's birthday to this transformation of the entire year of the great last and final tshuva that we do before Rosh Hashanah. And here is just a very quick and very powerful idea. And that is like this. In general, the Baal Shem Tov enters into the world in the month of Elul because Elul is a month in which we all have to consider not See, all year long we're busy being Jewish, we're busy being observant, we're busy doing all the things, all of our obligations that we need to do as a Jew. When it comes to Chodesh Elul, we have to take stock, we have to do a calculation, we have to, see, we have to do bookkeeping. We have to see, are we profitable, are we making advance? We have to analyze a deeper analysis of where we are in our connection. The Bolshem Tov did not come to change the details of Judaism. 
The Bolshev, the Bolshev wants you to, according to the Bolshev, you study Torah, you still put on tefillin the same way. Okay, there were slight nuances that the Hasidic custom came and changed. But generally, Hasidus did not come to add to the 613, to subtract to the 613. That's not what Hasidus came. Hasidus came to upgrade the system. The entire operating system should be upgraded. Because Hasidus came to deepen the awareness and the consciousness of the person who's observing all the commandments to have a higher understanding, which means one's base from where they're operating should be on a far elevated, more refined, elevated spiritual place. Basically, in a place where what you're concerned about in your Judaism is your ani dodi vidodi li. I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me. That my relationship with God, first of all, is one of love. That's the cornerstone of the Baal Shem Tov's teachings. That the Abishter loves us with infinite, unconditional love no matter what. Secondly, that being a Jew means not scoring points. Being a Jew does not mean becoming the best and being, it's not a self-help program. Being a Jew is in a relationship with God. God, you're married to God. You're connected to Now these are not really Baal Shem Tov ideas. They're, they're essential dears that say in Medrash and the like. But it was not real. It wasn't something that people can tangibly relate to until the Baal Shem Tov came and made all these things real. He highlighted them. So the Baal Shem Tov brought us, a, he enters the world in Elul because he comes to elevate the Elul. He comes to give chayos. He comes to give an energy. And ani ledodi vedodi li. I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me. But specifically, when we come to the last, in Elul itself, we can, the month of Elul, we're, 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 we're more in tune with our general approach to being a Jew. But when Elul, when Chai Elul comes, and the Baal Shem Tov is born again in each and every one of our neshamas, which means the, Baal, the, Baal, the message of the Baal Shem Tov, the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, the godliness of Torah is revealed to each and every one of us. Suddenly the brightness of the relationship of Hashem and me, of Hashem and each and every one of us, begins to shine with a brighter light as the new light of the Baal Shem Tov enters the world on the 18th of Elul, Be'ez Hashem on this Shabbos. Here is where your tshuva goes to a whole new level. What's the tshuva? The tshuva where I'm looking at last year, and I'm analyzing not how much Torah did I learn, how much davening did I do, how much mitzvahs, this or that. I'm asking myself one question. And that is, am I as a Jew in the last Chodesh Tishrei, did I live in this world as a chelek alakaim imal, as a literal piece of God from above, who is essentially one, as we spoke earlier, a letter embedded in the, that's one with the essence of God. Was my life a reflection of the divinity, of the godliness of my soul? That's the question. And then automatically, I realized that, that maybe not. Maybe I was caught up in externalities. Maybe I was stuck in superficial things. Instead of really connecting to the true identity of who I really am. And then I go through, that's the tshuva. The tshuva is in a very nishamadiga place. The, 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 the tshuva is returning to my soul. Returning to my essence. Returning to the quintessential bond that we, that we, that I and Hashem have. And from that place, I, I, I analyze. And here's the thing, the moment I can turn on that godliness in my soul and think about last, that month that had gone by and, and, and re-examine it from that perspective, what I can do right now is I can control that month and illuminate that past month with this new neshamadiga light to transform, to change 
All the aspects could be all the deficiencies, all the, de- all the details that might have been lacking in the particular aspects of my Yiddishkeit. If I'm going back to the root and the core of it all, the godliness of who I am, the oneness that I have with Hashem, and from there I'm, 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 I'm re-examining and I'm refocusing myself. So then in one moment, in one second of tshuva, it doesn't have to be the whole entire day, but in one moment of that Re-identification, reclaiming our soul, reclaiming our dignity, our godliness of who we really are, that transforms that particular month and suddenly upgrades it, elevates it to a whole godlier plane. And that's how we finish the year. We conclude the last 12 days as Balshemtov days, as Hasidic days, as days infused with the nobility, the, uh, the, 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 the loftiness, the purity, the light, the brightness of, that, of, of the true essence of who we are, where Yidin and Hashem are totally one. From that place we can come to Rosh Hashanah and such a, with such a healthy attitude, with excitement, not with trepidation and fear of punishment and who knows what's going to happen, but with tremendous joy and tremendous confidence that God is going to give us an unbelievable year in which this year we're going to be able to shine His light into this world with even greater intensity and with greater vigor when we merit to see the coming of Mashiach, and this year we should celebrate Chai Elul with the Holy Baal Shem Tov and with all the Tzadikim in the Beis Hamikdash Hashlishi b'mehira be'yameinu. Let it be now, now, and now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>